Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, A Better Story. Growing up, we have been told to make our own way, to write our own story. But few of us realize that God has a better story for us. Our prayer is that you come to the understanding that God has the pen in his hand and he is continuing to write a better story for you. Good morning. Everybody good? Hope so. Um, hope you are here believing, expecting God to do incredible things. I have, I am been praying for that all week and just believing that God's going to do um, awesome stuff here today. It's cool to see all the things that God's doing through one and one. And um, uh, as it said, the, the building and everything that we build uh, is going to be awesome. But what's more awesome than that is seeing how the gospel is going out into the community and changing lives already. And so um, we thank you for serving in that capacity. We thank you for giving towards that. So that it makes it possible that we can go out and share the gospel with people in a lot of different ways. So thank you um, for doing that. Also to everybody who serves regularly on Sundays, thank you so much. Um, we do believe with all our heart that uh, we preach the same message from the parking lot to the pulpit. I mean, we, we really just believe that from the moment people drive onto the high school property that um, God is going to already be working in their lives. And without the people who serve um, none of this would happen, and it's easy for us to just think that people come to know Christ because of a message or because of um, a worship team, but it's because everybody participates as the body of Christ using their gifts to help welcome people into the kingdom. And so we're very thankful for that. Uh, so far this year, it's pretty cool to think about. We've seen 64 salvations. We've seen 64 people go from death to life, putting their faith in Christ this last year because God is using you. He's using us to reach people who are far from him. Um, we, see, we have seen 117 baptisms just in 2013, and I mean, we're just like, we've got what, let's see, October, November, December, we've got three more months left. And so it's cool to see how God's using people to reach people, and how God's making a difference in people's lives, and how people are finding a better story for their life through the gospel of Jesus, and how their lives are being changed to bring Him glory. Um, for some of you, you're not serving, and we want something for you. We don't want something from you. We want you to be a part of what God's doing. And you received this card when you walked in. It was, it should have been attached to your, um, your, your announcement card. And, and some of you, you need to fill that out and you need to turn it in, um, and start serving. You're gifted. You've been equipped. You've been called by God to advance his kingdom. And we want you to join us in this. So for some, like it's, it's time just to fill it out. It's time to do it. And we'd love to be able to help you with that. Love to talk to you more about that. And when you leave today, you can actually stop outside and talk to Tanya or talk to Olivia, um, about serving in kids or Tanya about serving in, uh, another area. But man, we, we, we need you guys, right? Um, we've seen our congregation grow by 50% from this time last year. And we need, we, we've got a lot of people walking through the doors that need to know the love of Christ. And we need you guys to help us share that with them. And so I hope that you'll um, become a part of that and do that with us. Today we're going to continue this series called A Better Story. It's um, been awesome to see what God's done through it already. And today we're going to keep, keep trucking along and looking at uh, actually, how does Romans 12, 2 take place? A lot of us, we've been around church, we've heard this verse, we're going to read it in just a second. But how do we begin to renew our mind? How does our mind begin to think differently? We've talked a lot about how our experiences shape the way we think. We're going to look at that a little bit more. But then we're actually going to look at three practical steps that if we do these in conjunction with God's Word, um, it really allows us to begin to apply God's Word and God's Word begins to transform the way we think. We begin to be conformed into His patterns of thinking, which leads to us being conformed into his ways of living instead of living according to the way the world would define us or tell us to live or tell us is even right, right, you know? And so what we're going to do is we're going to get into this thing and we're going to just see how do we begin to renew our mind? How does our mind begin to change? How do we begin to not listen to the lies we're told through our, the events of our lives, through the experiences of our lives, through people in our lives, just from culture around us? How do we begin to live out of God's truth, not out of the lies that we've been told, the little T truths, the experiences of our lives that have caused us to see God a certain way and caused us to see ourselves a certain way. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. So the goal of this message is to begin to actually see Romans 12 2 taking place in our lives. And this is what that scripture says. I want to read it and then pray and we're going to jump into the message. In Romans 12 2 it says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve 
what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to open your word. I thank you that it's living and active. And God, I thank you that it is powerful to tear down any thought patterns in our lives that are not true, that are leading us away from your story for us, God. And I pray that today, um, Lord, that truth will begin to sink in. I pray we'll be alert and attentive so that, God, we can walk out of here and apply this message to our lives, begin to experience the fact that the truth does set us free and begin to live a life um, that is free from the lies of this world and that brings you glory in all things that we do. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you for being good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you know what this is? If you own a home, you know, it'd be probably, probably not a very difficult question, right? Um, but how many of you know what it is? What is it? Air filter, right? And so we've seen these. We've seen these air filters. They're pretty common. You can pick them up. Not very expensive. And, and let me ask you this. How many of you are familiar with this air filter? A little familiar? Absolutely. Um, when we, as in Susan, was changing our air filter... A few weeks ago, this is what came out. And don't let the blue spots fool you. That's just where it's fallen off over the last few weeks since I've been holding on to this thing. So it was absolutely covered, caked with uh, dirt, dust. Only God knows, seriously, only God knows what could be in this filter for my three boys. There is absolutely no telling what has gotten sucked up into this filter. Um, there could be some very dangerous, toxic things in this filter. Obviously, this filter didn't function or could not function any longer the way that it was designed to function. This filter actually was costing me money, and my negligence to change it was actually costing me money because the, the, the air unit couldn't run properly, right? It, it was impossible for that air unit to do what it was designed to do. In fact, to do what it was designed to do, it had to work much, much harder in order just to function the way it was designed to function. I was thinking about this um, a while back and as I was praying through these messages and I started realizing that for many of us, this is like the filter of our mind. This is, this is how many of us live day to day, that our mind has been clogged through the experiences of life. Our mind's been clogged through events, through the people who spoke into our lives, um, who may or may not have told us truth about God, about who we are. Um, our, 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 our filters of our mind have been shaped by a culture around us telling us who we should be or, or who we're not and who will never be. And, and the reality of it is that for many of us, our filter, our mind, this, this um, organ that, the, that God's given us to be able to filter out truth, to be able to discern what is true, um, has been clogged. For many of us, it's clogged with condemnation. For many of us, it's clogged with bitterness. For many of us, it's clogged with this, um, this, this perfectionism um, mindset that if I'm not perfect, I'm not loved. If I'm not perfect, I'm not approved. And this is how our mind looks. And when our mind is clogged with all of these truths that aren't true, these little t truths, what begins to happen is it begins to cost us. And it specifically cost us in the abundant life that Christ would have for us. It cost us in freedom in Christ because we don't truly know that, that, how to live free because our mind is telling us something contrary to God's truth. And so we're living in a bondage that we don't have to be living in. We can live as hurt people even when the power of Jesus is present to heal because we simply don't grab hold of the truth and apply it to our lives and begin to have our minds renewed. Listen, we work harder to try to accomplish the same things, just like the unit, just like the air unit, because our filter is broken. It's clogged with untruths, things that we've learned from our experiences, lies that we've been told about who we are, who we should be, um, how we always are going to be. This is how, for a lot of us, our minds look. This is how a lot of us function from day to day, and it doesn't work well. We begin to hear things and, have it, and, and, and take every bit of information, thousands of pieces of information daily, and we process it through a filter that's broken. I believe this is why Paul was so emphatic about saying, listen, don't be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you can discern what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He's saying, listen, don't conform to the patterns of the world. Don't think according to the world. Don't act according to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If our mind is transformed, we begin to see God the way he truly is. We begin to see ourselves as Christ 
um, says we are, and we begin to see the reality of who we are in Christ, we can begin to live the life that God has called us to live, which ultimately brings Him glory. But we can't do it as long as our mind is clogged with all of these untruths. I want to give you a couple of scenarios because I want you to try to begin to see this and how it actually plays out in our lives. For, for some of us, we live um, in, in a home or we, we're, we're uh, around people who shape this mindset in us of perfectionism. How many of you would say that you have a tendency to be a little perfectionist? A, a little bit, right? I think probably more of us do than we realize. I would say the number one thing that is robbing people in the church today is that, especially in the South, is that we've made church about perfectionism rather than a relationship with Jesus. We tried to make it where we're going to make ourselves perfect. We would say we need the perfection of Christ, but then we try to live out that perfection on our own. It doesn't work. It comes through a relationship with Christ. And so if you were raised or, or you've had influences in your life that told you this, that I'm approved whenever I do things perfectly, or I'm not approved when I don't do things perfectly, then, then, then you have that tendency to be a perfectionist. And you bring that into um, your relationship with God. And so here's the thing, even when you get critiqued or even when somebody gives you advice that's meant to help you, what ends up happening is you can't hear that in any other way other than I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. That, I'm not good enough. And so you begin to hear things that way. And I hope you can kind of see how that filter begins to shape how you hear every conversation. Every conversation has the potential to rob your value and your worth because you think that your value and your worth hinges on how perfect you actually are. Your value and your worth hinges on the fact that God sent his son to die for you to give you perfection which you could never attain. The death of his own son shows us how much God values us, not what we can do. And it's so hard for us to wrap our minds around that. But think about this. If you live in that perfectionism mindset, think about how you would hear this verse. This verse would drive you crazy. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. The Bible says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Like, if you hear that in the context of, as a perfectionist, then that's the most frustrating verse in the Bible, isn't it? Okay, all I've got to do is be perfect like God. Okay, I can do that. No, you can't. And like you spend your life trying to be perfect enough to be pleasing to God. And we can't even read that because our, our, our experiences begin to shape how we view God, how we hear God's voice. We can't even read that verse without seeing God as just another perfectionist taskmaster who's standing there ready to slap our hand if we get out of line at all. We can't see him as a loving father. We can't read that verse in the context of which is put in when Jesus is saying, listen, unless your, your righteousness supersedes that of the Pharisees who were like the most righteous living people that there were, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and we can't see that what Jesus is telling us is that you're never going to do this. So guess what? I came and I did it for you. You can't do this, so I'm going to do it for you. And then if you'll just live out of this relationship and out of this new identity I give you as being made perfect in me, then you know what? This identity that I've given you, you can actually begin to grow into that identity. But it comes through relationship. It doesn't come through focusing on sin. We focus on Christ. We become more like Christ. But I hope you can see how our mindset begins to be shaped in that way. And this is what I can tell you happens. When we live out of this legalistic professionist perfectionist mindset there's only one or two three options that can take place the first one is this that you continue to live in it and you just live in this christian routine of despair but there's no joy in your relationship with god why because you're not in a relationship with jesus you're in a relationship with a bunch of rules that just tend to try to bind you not set you free the other one is that you live in that and you bear the burden of this perfectionist lifestyle, but the reality of it is you can't do that. And so finally you decide God is just like the other people in your life who told you that if you're not perfect, then you're not good enough and you don't measure up and you're not approved. And so you just walk away. I see this a lot with new Christians, man. They come into this thing of grace and it's so amazing to know that I've been forgiven. But then we begin to try to maintain what we can never attain in the first place. Their own effort. Rather than just living in a relationship with Jesus, it changes our heart and changes our lives. The other thing is that we finally get to this place where we realize I can't do it. 
And we realize it is either by grace, which is God's unmerited favor, his unconditional love that we don't deserve, but he just gives us. And we come to this place of finally saying, God, it's either by grace or it's not at all. And we just say, Lord, here I am. And he says, that's right, come to me and let me work in you. But we live through this filter of perfectionism. It doesn't foster the life of God. It begins to choke it out. And I hope you can see maybe a little bit of how our experience begins to make us think of God and make us think of ourselves, just like the world around us has told us we are. We have to renew our minds and begin to see things the way God sees us. Think about this one. What about a girl who maybe lived a promiscuous life before she met Christ? Maybe her life was, was, was one guy after the next. Think about how she would hear this scripture. It's a little bit long, but I want you to hear the whole thing. It's in John chapter 4, or at least the first 19 verses. And I want you to see how her experience, the filter of her mind, would hear these verses differently than, say, a girl who had not lived that lifestyle. Listen to these verses in John chapter 4. It says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. A Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his flocks and his herds. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so Jesus is offering this woman new life. He's offering her that the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit would live in her. If she could identify who he is and understand the life that he offers. Then in verse 15, the woman says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. Now here's the setup, right? Go call your husband and come back. And in verse 17, she says, I have no husband. She replied, Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. And listen to her response. Sir, the woman said, I see that you are a prophet. Can you imagine what was going through this woman's mind? She simply came to get water from the well. And now this dude is telling her her whole life story. And I think about this. I don't believe that when she said, sir, I see that you're a prophet. She was like, oh, this is amazing. He knows everything about me. This is great. He has read my mail and he knows everything about me. And this is amazing. Like, sir, you're a prophet. I don't think it was like that at all. I think it was probably more like, oh, dang. I see you're a prophet. And, and, and I wonder about us. I wonder if a young lady who read this, who had lived this lifestyle, comes to these scriptures and she gets to verse 19. Does she continue even reading without the thought of, oh no, God knows. Does she continue reading until she gets to the part of God's redemption and his grace? Does she get to the part where God uses her to go back and change an entire city? And even if she does continue reading, does she read it through a filter of maybe he did that for her, he won't do that for me? Maybe she can never separate the fact that she's been separated from the Samaritan whore and now made the Samaritan evangelist. But that's the good news in the gospel and the grace of God. That he separates us from our past and he gives us a future. He takes away our sin and he gives us a ministry to go into the world. And for many of us, we need to understand and realize and learn that the source of our struggle oftentimes becomes the place of our genius if we'll give it to God and trust him to use it. 
And we come to this place where we realize, would you have kept reading? Would you keep reading? Would you hear the gospel story of Jesus that takes a woman who had lived a life far from God, yet when she encounters Jesus and she finally receives the life-giving water that he offers, which is representative of the Holy Spirit, that she begins to live a different life, she begins to think a different way, and she has a testimony of becoming an evangelist, taken out of the pit of despair and used to bring other people to Christ. That's the God that we serve. That's what God wants to write in our lives. That's what God wants to use us to do. Our stories, man, they're all tattered and bruised and broken and messed up. And yet God takes them and puts them back together and says, you can become an accurate picture of who I am if you'll rest in the identity that I give you. Renew your thinking, renew your mind, but can you see how her broken experience led to a broken filter that kept her from hearing correctly, would keep her from thinking the way God would have her to think? Another one would be if you grew up and you had an influence in your life that always told you you're not good enough. For some of you, it specifically said, you're never going to be anything. I remember playing ball one time and I was rounding third base and I had a little bit of an attitude. I did. And I remember the umpire looking at me and going, you're never going to amount to This is why I'm running around third base. No joke. He looked at me and he goes, you're never going to be anything. I was like, well, dang, that ain't nice. I was a punk, but still. The old man looked at me. Running around. I still remember that to this day, right? And some of us, it wasn't just one incident. For most of us, it's been our whole life that there were things and influences that told us, you don't measure up, you're not good enough. And we hear all thoughts and all conversations through that filter that takes us back to those experiences that remind us, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. I never will. I'm damaged. I might as well just be damned to hell and just be done with, right? And it takes us back to that and we begin to hear that. And so we can't even hear truth accurately. We can't encounter people accurately without hearing it through this filter of condemnation or of, of, of perfectionism or I'm not good enough. And we can't even hear it. I realized this when we were out at the Blessing Ranch. I've talked a lot about this. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you have to go back and listen to the other messages because I don't have time to cover it all right now. But we're out at the Blessing Ranch out in Colorado and Susan and I, and one thing I've learned about our counseling sessions is usually if Susan and I go in there together, the counselor and Susan end up counseling me. And so I recognize the source of the problem. And so we're sitting there and, and uh, we're going through some of the lies and the experiences that I've had that made me start believing lies about myself and not being able to see accurately who I am in Christ. And we're sitting there talking about some of those things and, uh, and, and, and we're going and he says, all right, I want you to take this lie and I want you to give me a scripture from the Bible that trumps this lie, that tells you that this is a lie and that God has a greater truth. And I'm sitting there and I don't know, like for you, maybe the experience was this where somebody's like, hey, who would like to pray for us? Anybody want to say the blessing like at the family gathering or maybe at some event and they're like, hey, who wants to pray? And then every eye in the room does this. Start looking out the window. You know what I mean? And, and so for me, when he said, hey, how about some scriptures that trump these lies? And, and like, I read my Bible. I really do. And so I was sitting there and, and I couldn't think of anything. Like my mind went blank. I was like, don't put me on the spot like that. I'm sitting there, I'm like, um, well, I don't know. You know. And I'm trying to flip through and try to find something. And, and then finally it started clicking and I started coming up with some scriptures. But I left that session, I left that meeting, and I went back and for about two or three hours I beat myself up because I realized like, man, I felt like a spiritual idiot, right? I was the biggest spiritual bozo, the most illiterate Bible pastor, you know, or, or of scripture that, that like ever and I was like, man, this is horrible. I, I feel like I don't even want to go back in there. And so I decided, I was like, I want to share this with him when I get back in there. So I walked back in. I said, I need to tell you something. I want to tell you about an experience I had in that session. And I said, I felt like after I couldn't, I struggled coming up with scriptures that, you know, that you felt like I was probably an idiot, that you probably felt like I was a spiritual bozo, that you probably thought you didn't even need to be a pastor. I need to call this church and talk to the elders and talk to the, the board and be like, y'all need to get rid of this guy. He's the antichrist. And be like, you know, He's, he's horrible. And, and I said, this is what I felt. And he said, it's funny you felt that way. Because when you were going through your Bible and you're pulling out scriptures, he said, I was actually thinking of what a great command of the scriptures you have. 
And he said, and when you were opening your Bible, I noticed that pretty much every page had something written in it or underlined in it. And I thought to myself, wow, a pastor who actually reads his Bible. I was sitting, I was like, you thought that? <laughs> and he was like, yeah. And isn't it funny how my experience and how this filter of my mind was hearing something that wasn't actually there. I was connecting dots that really painted a picture that did not exist. Do you see how our mind can tell us lies about even how other people see us, especially about how God sees us. And we've got to begin to renew our mind. Our filter's broken. Here's the thing I want you to understand. If we're going to live consistently in our new identity, we must process incoming information through the filter of God's truth, not the filter of our experience. Incoming information has to be processed through the filter of God's truth, not the filter of our experience. As Christians, we've got to begin to take our thoughts captive rather than allowing our thoughts to take us captive. It's a big difference. Take the thought captive. That's what Paul tells us to do. Take the thought captive. Don't let it take you captive. That's what God tells us. But how do we do that? How do we begin to live out of the truth? How do we begin to rewire this mind that is so messed up? I guarantee you, every person in here, there's some point during your day or during your week or during your month or during your year or during your life, probably more like during the day, that you have a thought and you're like, where did that even come from? Like our filter's messed up. But God's promise is that he can rewire it, that he can change it, that we can be given a new filter. How do we do that? Glad you asked that question because that's what I was going to talk about next. How do we do that? There are three words that we were taught when we were children, right? In, in, in case we got on fire, like in case we, we somehow we ended up on fire. Well, y'all know those three words. Everybody nod. You know the three words, right? Right? On the count of three, we're all going to say those three words. One, two, three. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we know those words. Fortunately, I've never had to actually do that. You know, and, and so I don't know if I would actually do it or not, but there's three other words I'm going to give you today that will not put out a fire. Just throwing that out. It will not help put out a fire, but it will help you begin to rewire your mind. It will help you to begin to see your mind being renewed through the power of God's truth. And those three words are this, stop, think, and pray. Stop, think, and pray. Don't use those if you're on fire. Those will, they will not work and do not blame God. You're going to be like, and everybody's like, what are you doing? It's like, I don't know. The preacher said, and I did not say that. Do not do that. It will not work. But these three words, stop, think, and pray. And let's look at them real quick. The first one is stop. Basically saying that we're stopping information from coming into our mind and into our heart. We're stopping information. Like I would say that probably one of the most important signs that we have as far as when we drive is a stop sign, right? How many of you have ever heard of a California stop? Right? The Urban Dictionary basically defines it as not coming to a complete stop and rolling through the stop sign. How many of you are guilty of the California stop? How many of you think stop signs are a hassle? How many of you are like me and think they should all be replaced by yield signs? I agree. <laughs> yield signs, the four-way yield, Right? That'd be a mess, wouldn't it? It's like, well, I don't know. I, I thought I yielded. I thought I had it. You know. And so, but it's an important sign. But here's the thing we see. We see stop signs. We see slowing down as a hassle. And stopping's like unthinkable. Like you really want me to stop. And our lives are so busy that, that we don't have time to stop. And that comes into our thinking also. We don't stop to actually look at the information that we're receiving. We don't stop it. We don't keep it at bay. If we're going to win the battle of identity, we've got to learn to intersect the information that's coming into our lives. Here's the thing I realized. We have thousands of pieces of information and, and influences and voices that are coming into our, our minds every day. If all we did was stop the information, like that's all we do every day, right? It's like, oh, I can't think about that. Oh, 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 oh. You, you can't do it all, right? I mean, it's just constant. 
But as we begin to renew our mind, we'll begin to see that we begin to develop new patterns of thinking. What I would tell you to do is begin with those thoughts, those influences that are coming into your mind, that are eventually getting into your heart, that are pushing on that sore spot, that place that experience has taught you a lie about who you are. That's why writing that letter was so important that that we wrote that, that how did I get here? That one, not the one about God's truth that we wrote the next week, but the one about how did I get here? Because you begin to develop an understanding of the sore spots that have developed in your life from your experience experiences and you can begin to see it's just like how many of you have ever been sunburned you've been sunburned before right it's a miserable experience i hate getting sunburned and uh but sometimes you forget to reapply right and you're at the beach and you're just having such a good time that you forget to re- or you fall asleep and i'm sure that's happened to some of you too and you woke up burnt and um and you you get sunburned and nobody ever wants to pat you on the back until your back sunburned right but once your back is sunburned you become like the most popular person in bullet county it's like everybody wants to pat you on the back, but you know it hurts. And you like see it's all happening in slow motion. It's like the hand is coming towards your back. And all of a sudden you develop ninja-like, cat-like reflexes that blocks the hand. You're like, wow, right? And you block it and you're like, I'm sunburned. Like you didn't know you could move that fast until somebody started to hit you on the back. Because it's sore. It hurts. You know it's sore. The thing we need to realize is that these places in our lives that have taught us to be a certain way, man, they're sore. We can recognize those that 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 feeling that that place in our lives and we can begin to stop that information that constantly pushes on the sore spot like if i'm sunburned and you keep poking me one of us is going to get beat up because it hurts we can recognize the information that pokes at those sore spots that begins to bring us into this pit of despair this place of anger this place of bitterness whatever it might be we begin to recognize those things we begin to recognize those lies that begin to try to tell us who god is or whatever is not true we can begin to recognize those things that push on the sore spot. And just like a sunburn, once it's healed, like you can pat me on the back all you want to, right? Not really because it gets weird after a while, but, but you, it doesn't hurt anymore. But we've got to give those places time to heal. We stop. Stopping is taking a moment to get out of autopilot and to begin to intersect the information that's coming into our life. Not just receiving everything is true, right? We begin to take it and stop it. And then we do the second thing, which is think. Thinking's bringing that information to the truth of Christ. It's actually taking that information that we stopped and we bring it. And listen, our minds are incredible. This sounds like a process that would take you five minutes. You can do it in less than a second. It just begins to happen. You begin to practice it. It just begins to happen. It just begins to happen. You begin developing new patterns of thinking. You begin to develop new ways of living. And and you take that information and you bring it to the truth of Christ. We stop the info and then we analyze it according to God's truth. That's why those letters that we wrote, the second one that was had uh we had this sheet right here which is online if you don't have it it's i think it's week three of a better story um there's a download you can get this it's it's scriptures that tell us who we are in christ the letter that we use or we wrote from these scriptures is so important because it's god's truth and when we stop that information that's not true and we bring it into god's truth we can look at the letter or we can get in god's word to begin to see who we are it begins to show us the truth versus the lie See, here's the thing. Most people think we read our Bible to be good Christians when we read our Bible to be like Christ, right? It's a big difference in that. We think I just read my Bible because that's what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. No, you read your Bible because as you read it, as you're in it, as you begin to see the truth of who he is, the truth of who you were and the truth of who you are now, it leads you to worship and it begins to renew your mind and it begins to shape your thinking and it begins to change your life but we don't do it like i can guarantee you that the majority of people haven't done the things we've asked you to do during this series we've got to get into it we've got to understand it we've got to begin to renew our minds through his truth it's powerful i don't go into condemnation because i said that you hadn't done it right just do it just trust that god's word is true and begin to see yourself according to the scripture according to what he says until listen to this there's no other option but to accept the truth of our experience if we don't have the word of god in us to speak a greater truth you need to be in this you need to see who you are take this card take this sheet of paper 
And let it be your starting point to begin to discover, to discover who am I in Christ. It'll change your life. If you listen to some of these things, I just highlighted a few of them. But in Christ, I'm a new creation. I can trust God to continue to work in me. In Christ, I'm good enough because of the work of Christ. In Christ, God wants to use me. In Christ, I'm equipped. In Christ, I'm gifted. In Christ, I have a spirit of power, of love, and self-control. In Christ, I have a future. In Christ, I'm accepted. In Christ, I'm a child of God. In Christ, I'm gifted, equipped, and competent. In Christ, I have an eternal purpose. It begins to redirect our lives by redirecting our thinking, by allowing us to see who we are so that we can live a better story, God's story, which ultimately leads to his glory. As we begin to think, we begin to replace the message we would normally hear through our broken filter with God's message and his truth. So we stop, we stop the information. We recognize it and we stop, whoa, that, don't, that does not feel right. I don't think that's the God. I need to check that. We think, we bring it to God's truth. And then the third one is we pray. When we stop, we come to a place where we stop the information. We think we bring it to God's truth. When we pray, we're bringing the incoming data, that information that we stop. And we're bringing our hearts before God. We take the information. Here comes this this information. We take God's truth and we bring our hearts before God. And we say, God, is this true? And when you do that, there's only two possibilities. The first one is this, application. Application happens when we intersect the incoming data. So we stop, we bring it to the truth of Christ, we think, and then we bring it before God in prayer. And we realize that it's true. The information we're receiving is true. According to God's word, the big T, it's true. Here's an astonishing thought. We're not always right. Right? I mean, yeah, we're not always right. And we need to be correct. And in fact, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're not always right. We need to be corrected. God's Word corrects us. God's Word teaches us, it rebukes us, it corrects us, it trains us. And when we have information that comes in and we bring it to the truth of God and we bring our hearts before God and we realize that we're in error, that we made a mistake, that something's not right, there's something going on in my mind that I believe to be a truth that's not a truth or that, that I practice in my life that it's not right, I need to correct it. Then that's what God's Word does, it corrects us. It begins to bring us back into line. But the truth that we need to understand is that just because you're corrected doesn't mean you're condemned. Think about it this way. God corrects us. He teaches us. He rebukes us. He trains us out of love, not out of some tyrant mentality. I look at it even with my own children. Like if we're in the, say we're in the kitchen and and, and we bake cookies. I like cookies, cookies and milk. That's heaven. Like if heaven's any better than warm brownies, and milk or warm chocolate chip cookies and milk or even brownies, warm brownies with ice cream on top. Best ever, right? And so if we're cooking cookies in the oven at home and and, and we open the oven and read, my two-year-old begins to come running through the kitchen because he wants some cookies. He smells the cookies. The oven's open. Duh, grab a cookie, right? And the, the oven's open and we come to this, this point where I have to make a decision. Is it more loving for me to rebuke my child and say, read, stop, don't do that, correct him. And then say, if you do that, teaching him, it's going to burn. So don't ever do that. Training. Is it more loving for me to do that or to say, read, grab you a cookie, man. I know you want one. No, I'm like, Susan, touch that and show him how hot it is. Show him, <laughs> show him how that burns, right? And, and, and it's more loving for me to correct him. And see, we can be corrected by God without falling into a place of condemnation. Because what we begin to hear and how we begin to hear it is this correction coming from a loving father rather than condemnation coming from begru- some begrudging tyrant. We've got to realize that God corrects us. When we're in Christ, God corrects us because he loves us. 
Because he wants a better story for us. We need to realize that. God's not trying to rain on our parade. He's not trying to ruin our story. He's trying to give us a better story. We need to put down the pen and let God write the story. Trusting that his way is the best way. His way is true. The second thing that happens First is application. We begin to pray. We begin to take the truth or this, this, this thing we're hearing. We stop it. We bring it to the truth of God. And then we bring it before God. The second possibility is what I would call interception. Interception. We watched that uh, on football yesterday, right? Interceptions. They happen all the time. But instead, in this interception, instead of it being the football and a defensive back or a linebacker, it's God's word that steps in to intercept a lie It's trying to come into our lives. So interception happens when we intersect the incoming data. That means we stop it. We bring it to the truth of Christ. That means we begin to think about it and we bring it before God. We begin to pray and we realize that it's false. It's not true according to God's truth. And so we stop it. We block it. And there's only one thing that we do with that. We take it and recognize it for what it is. It's a lie. It's trash. It's spoiled. It's no good to anybody. And I throw it away. The end. It doesn't get in. We recognize that it doesn't belong in our lives. I, I had this experience at a Braves game a few years ago. There was a guy, I don't know if you even can remember this guy. This was a long time ago, but his name was Alan Embry. I don't know if anybody's a, a baseball fanatic. You remember Alan Embry? Left-hander. He's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, threw about 98 left-handed. And this is before everybody was on steroids and HGH. And everybody threw 98, right? With both hands. And so... We went down and we wanted to go see him up close. And so we went and we snuck in behind. I know I'm a preacher, but I snuck in behind the home plate and, and went and sat down. And the funny thing about it, we didn't have tickets. I started sneaking down through there and I was like, maybe this will work. Maybe this will work. Maybe this will work. And as soon as my rear end touched the seat, a finger touched me on the shoulder. And I looked around and it was a lady in all her Braves attire. And she said, sir, do you have tickets? And I really wanted to say, this is... You know how you never say exactly what you might have wanted to say? This is what I want to say. Ma'am, you know I don't have tickets. So either kick me out or let me stay here and just look the other way. And, and so I was like, no, ma'am. And she's like, you got to go. And so I got ejected, right? I got put out. I had to go back to my nosebleed seats where everybody looked like a dot on the field. And so we had to make the, the and everybody's laughing at us. It was bad. But the same thing happens when we realize that something is a false truth. We, we, we stop the information, we bring it in, and we compare it to God's truth. We analyze it according to God's truth. We recognize it's not true, and then we throw it out. We analyze it with our heart. It's not right. No, it's gone. I don't entertain it. It's trash. It's done. It's ejected. It does not belong here. And so we throw it away. And when we begin to stop, and we begin to think, and we begin to pray, what we start seeing is our mind begins to be renewed with the truth of Christ. How many of you are good with computers? Anybody good with computers? Good with computers? Okay, we need all of y'all in product, the production team. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. The first service, I, I don't know if they were all asleep or if we just have no technical people, but nobody raised their hand. I was like, all right, so they all are like me. And, but, but here's how I fix computers because I don't know anything about computers. I turn it off and turn it back on, Right? If that doesn't fix it, you throw it away and get a new one. That's, that's the only way I know how to fix a computer is off, on, okay, get a new one, right? And, and that's all I know about it. The other, only other thing I really do know is like when I hit like command P on my computer, it brings up this thing that says printer and it shows me the printer that I can use. And so I can hit okay and whatever information I had on my screen then gets sent over into this printer and it prints it out. And, and, and this is what I was thinking about. That is called the default printer. For many of us, we have a default way of thinking. All information just runs through this default filter that we go to automatically. What we have to do through the power of God's truth is we begin to give ourselves a different default. Jesus comes in and he rewires that default. He overrides those settings so that I'm no longer the sum total of my experiences. I am now the sum total of Christ. It begins to change me. It begins to change the way I think because I begin to see it the way he sees it. I begin to to, to see myself the way he sees me. My default way of thinking, my default filter becomes God's truth. It's not just some 
jacked up experience that has taught me a lot about myself. I analyze it and I either apply the truth by correction or rebuke or teaching or training from the hands of a loving God or I throw it away. But nowhere in there is condemnation. It's interesting to me that in 2 Timothy 3.16 that Paul is very clear as he lays out this scripture that our teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training comes from his word, not from our experiences. Ultimately, the Bible has the final say about us and about our lives. When I was little, I guess I was probably seven or eight years old. I've always liked history. My dad likes history. And he got on this kick where he would go and and we would go hunt for Civil War artifacts. And we had this metal detector and we'd walk all over West Georgia. We lived over in Noon and we'd go out to these places where these battles had taken place and we'd have our little little uh, metal detector and you'd be walking along and be like we'd be like yes treasure and we'd start digging and, and, and that metal detector but it was exhausting like we were walking all over these hills and all. but sometimes you'd find cool bullets or a knife blade or a piece of a cannonball you'd find some cool stuff but it was exhausting and you know that's how I used to live I used to scour every bit of information. I used to just look over everything that was coming into my life and I tried to find some hidden treasure of my identity. I tried to find something that would tell me who I was, especially if it was something good. But you know what? Because my filter was broken, I usually found something that was bad. The thing that I would tell you is that if you're in that place where you're living from this place of trying to to just look at information that's coming in and find your identity, you'll never find it. Your identity is only found in Christ. You've got to be in Christ to truly have the identity of a human being. Christ was human. He was the perfect human. And our identity is only found in Him. How exhausting is it to constantly be filtering through every bit of information to try to discover who we are instead of just resting securely in who we are in Christ? But we've got to change the way we think. We've got to begin to stop. We've got to think. We've got to pray. This isn't who I am. It helps you with every area of life. You will be amazed when your identity becomes clear in Christ. All of the different things that begins to affect your marriage, the conversations you have, the ministry you can do because you can actually hear what people are saying instead of trying to hear what they're just saying to you. You can hear what's behind them. You can begin to see people differently because what you begin to realize is that they're being a jerk, not because I'm a bad person, but because something in their life isn't right. And you can actually hear. It changes everything. Absolutely everything. And we've got to come to a place where we're, we know him, that we're in him, that we're in his word, that we know who he is, that we're simply living out of the place that he's called us to live from, which is grace that unmerited favor unconditional love that he just gives us the Bible says that God so loved that he gave and he gave his best because he loved us we don't even, the Bible says we don't even know what love is apart from Christ apart from him how awesome is it to have a God like that the question I would ask you today is two things. One, are you in Christ? Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? Have you said yes to his invitation? No strings attached, not based on your performance. So many of us come to Jesus. We think I'll clean up and then I'll come. It doesn't work that way. You'll never be clean enough to walk into the presence of a holy God. But here's the thing that is awesome. Jesus says, come to me. I'll clean you up and I'll make you presentable to God, the father. Not through what you did, but what through I did on the cross for you. And so we come to this place of simply needing to receive the invitation that he so freely gives us. Are you in Christ? Do you know Christ? That's the first question I would ask you. Do you know Jesus here today, right now? Are you in a relationship with him? Not in some religious perfectionist excuse for Christianity. But in a real relationship with Christ. And you say my identity is secure in him. I know him. I have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never received that invitation. Right now I want to give you that opportunity to receive the invitation. That's where it starts. You can only take one step at a time. The first step is saying, I need to know him. I want to receive the invitation that Jesus is offering. And so right now, right here, before we pray, 
I'm going to ask you. You don't know him, but you want to know him today. And you want to receive the invitation. He's spoken to your heart and you want to know him today. So I'm going to ask you, be very bold. I want you to stick your hand up in there. You can wave at me. Keep, stick your hand up and you wave it at me and say, I want to know Christ. I want to be in a relationship with Jesus. You want to know him? Raise your hand right now. It's okay. We're going to celebrate with you the new life of Christ. going to kill you. It's going to bring you life. So I would want to know him. Here's the second thing. You're struggling, man. You're you're dealing with stuff in your life that's trying to move you from the truth of Christ. And and there's just something going on that I need to hold to his truth. I need to be grounded on his word. You know him. Man, there's a lot blowing against you. The winds and the rains are blowing against you. And today you just would like somebody to pray with you. Say, yeah, I, I will agree with you that the word is true and that I will not be moved from shaken from this foundation. The winds and the, and the, the rain, and it's just beating against you. But you're holding to Christ. You need the strength and the power of the Spirit. Let's just pray for you. Will you raise your hand? Let us pray for you right now. Amen. Who else? Stick your hands up. Amen. We're going to pray with you. Listen. We've got prayer people too. If we can pray with you, if we can talk with you, if we can help you, while I'm praying, you just get up and walk over there. I promise. And in fact, if you need prayer today and you, you're, you, you can't get up and go by yourself, you grab the person next to you and they'll go with you, okay? And we want to pray with you. We want to help you. We want to take your next steps with you. Help you walk this out, this identity that God's given us. We want to see you know that identity, but also grow into that identity. We want to pray with you. When I pray, you get up and move. You just go and let us pray with you. Just go and let us pray with you. We want to help. God, thank you so much for this opportunity today to be in your word. Thank you that we can stop. We can think. We can pray, God. And we can take thoughts captive rather than allowing them to take us captive. Jesus, I thank you that you have power over our experiences, that the big T truth of your word trumps the little T truth of our experience. I thank you that you correct us as a loving father, even rebuke us. God, teach us and train us to live in your ways, Lord. Do a great work in us that you could do a great work through us and help us to rest securely in you. Jesus, I pray that for people who need prayer, God, they would just move. Move in their hearts. Move them, Lord. Their their, their story wouldn't be that I felt like I was stuck to the seat. Their story would be I felt like I was propelled out of my seat. God, move them. Move them to the hallway, God. Move them to prayer that we could take next steps with them, God. Lord, we thank you for loving us so much that you gave, that you gave your son. We thank you for loving us so much that we have a greater truth, God, that's in us. Help us to draw from that truth and live out of that truth. Lord, we love you and we thank you. I thank you for all you teach us and all you do in our lives and the power of your spirit. We love you, God, and we praise your holy name. Thank you for being here with us this morning.